The sports world has been greening itself for most of the century, but despite these efforts, most fans have no idea. That changes now. Welcome to Green Sports Pod. Hosted by Lou Blaustein, Green Sports Pod highlights the successes, challenges, and opportunities to green the games we love to watch and play, and give you the chance to hear from the athletes who are taking positive environmental actions. Learn more and subscribe to the show today at greensportsblog.com. Hi there, I'm Lou Blaustein, and welcome to Episode 17 of Green Sports Pod. Matthew Campelli is founder and editor of the Sustainability Report, which covers the green sports beat from Europe, and he's director of sustainability for Touchline, a communications agency specializing in sustainability, sport, and reporting. Now, we were catching up not long ago, riffing on the state of the green sports world and the world more broadly at this crucial moment in time in the climate fight. In the wake of the devastating IPCC climate report from August, in the run-up to the recent Sport Positive Summit, and the upcoming COP26 Global Climate Conference. And one of us, I'm not sure who, blurted out, hey, this conversation would make for a great podcast where we interview each other. So, a couple weeks later, that's exactly what we did. Here now is the State of Green Sports with Matthew Campelli and yours truly. Enjoy. The very first thing, question that you, you asked, I think, is where we should really begin. Mm-hmm. And just what, where we are as sport, as an industry, with regards to sustainability, greening efforts, decarbonization. You know, what's your sense, characterization of, of, of where we are, Lou, at the moment? Um, for me, I think that we've made a real leap or at least it feels like we have right like you know from five years ago or even three years ago where i'm fighting to get the words climate and change spoken together two words in a row by sports teams by people at panels like the green sports alliance you know and it was it was it was not easy there was a, and now we're in a place where climate change is spoken of all the time. Now climate justice is is a major topic. Um, you know the politics of climate change still a little bit on the back burner, but it's it's not completely absent. Um, so on that re- in, in that regard, I think there has been a major change within the green sports world but then you go outside of the bubble that you know kind of we exist in and even there there are some changes the biggest one i think was the the carbon zero game recently at tottenham partnered with sky sports where you know at least here i'm watching the game on nbc sports in the u.s and in the middle of it, Arlo White starts talking about climate, carb, you know, carbon zero and climate and fighting climate. And I'm like, this is on NBC Sports, a live broadcast of Tottenham, Chelsea, and we won't talk about the result, but whatever. Um, it was so that is a big deal. My I just think that these things can't be one offs because the one thing I don't know the answer to and maybe you have some insight 
is what is the awareness of the general public, the sports fan world writ large of these greening efforts? Like, you know, do we even have a sense of what that is? So, so my sense of it is that I think sports fans, I mean, sports fans are citizens in their own right, right? It's just, uh, you can't really distinguish between sports fans and citizens. And, and my feeling is, is that as citizens, we're obviously becoming, we're aware of climate change. And this is what's driving it now. In sport, we're not afraid to say climate change because we know the general population is is not just aware of climate change, they're really concerned about it, at least, at least in Europe anyway. And my sense is, is that when Sky Sports and Tottenham Hotspur and Chelsea do something like Game Zero and they make it really kind of accessible with their usual hosts, with players, with anchors, talking about it in such a such an engaging way. I think sports fans can't help but engage with it because it's just part of the, and we're only seeing this in a very minimal way now, but it's starting to become a little bit part of the viewing broadcasting experience. And I think that was just a snapshot of what hopefully sports broadcasting can look like going forward as more and more teams and more clubs and more broadcasters feel that they've got the, they've got uh, some, some, some power to do something around this. Um, what do you think can push that to accelerate that? Um, other than the natural wave of things, so to say. So I don't know about you, Lou, but I, I get the sense that sport is starting to feel that it's not immortal now with regards to climate. And I feel that climate risk is an area that sport is starting to become very aware of. I know that you know a lot about the work that the Rapid Transition Alliance are doing around sport and climate. And the report that came out last year, I think maybe early this year, around the different football or soccer stadiums in Britain that are under threat from climate change. Um, I think when we look at climate change, organizations generally come at it from a position of risk. We talk about the opportunities, the fan engagement and the sponsorship opportunities, but risk is ultimately where they're going to be placing their main focus. And they're looking at this report and they're saying, geez, you know, in like 10, 20, 15 years time, um, we could be dealing with a big problem here, right? Because we can't up sticks and move our stadium. We, we can knock down our stadium and build a new one, but that's a huge, a huge issue. Um, we need to start thinking about this. And when they see teams like Tottenham doing what they did a few weeks ago, that combined with the real risk, I think is going to embolden them to do more and the broadcasters to do more. But I, I don't know, what, what, what's, your, what's your view on that? I think that, I mean, I, I largely agree. And I am, I, uh, my attitude is I am really happy that Tottenham, Sky Sports and Chelsea did what they did. Um, and, but we can't, we in the, in the media, the green sports media, especially cannot kind of keep, take our foot off the electric vehicle accelerator <laughs> to, because, because we are at, like I say, we can't, we can't afford for sports, for athletes, for media to be on the sidelines on this issue, sports media. And I think that, you know, there's been a big focus from the, in the green sports world writ large, you know, going back 15 years plus um, up until just recently where it's been focused on the facilities, right? Like uh, greening the, the stadiums, uh, energy efficient lighting, um, recycling, composting, on-site solar, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that makes sense up to a point. 
but most fans don't go to games. Like the vast majority of fans don't go to games. And so the media piece of this, to me, of the three leg of the three legs of the sports stool, right? The teams, the um, the sponsors, and media. The media is the one that has been last to come on board, and that to me is the most important factor, because they reach the that they reach the vast majority of sports fans. That's where you find sports fans watching or listening or whatever can, on online, and so you know I don't I, I hope I and 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 I think you're right that that we're moving in the right direction in terms of the media piece specifically, more coverage more you know tottenham and the um game zero is not going to be a one-off there'll be more things like this but we just have to be vigilant that there are many more things like this and at the mega sports event level and it has to have real there has to be real kind of fan engagement athlete engagement to really make this you know to really to really provide sports or to to for sports to really have its maximum impact because we just don't have the time for it not to. Yeah, I agree. But I think one of the things I'm feeling really, really positive about is it feels that the media, the mass media, at least in, in Europe and in Britain, uh, knows that its readers or its viewers are starting to be affected by this, starting to feel this, and they're starting to produce stories. Um, I mean, we'll talk a little bit in a little bit about about uh, some of the sports positive sessions. And one of the really interesting things that's happened in Britain is is uh, Dale Vince did a a campaign with a, a newspaper in Britain called the Daily Express, which for those right of, wing. Uh, wow for the, for those of our listeners who are not based in Britain, that is about as right wing as you get newspaper wise in Britain. It's about as, as right. It was very pro Brexit, very conservative, very even going back two or three years ago was very climate skeptical tabloidy tabloidy and but but they realize that their readers even the conservative readers if they speak to them about climate in a way that, that they care about in terms of conservation nature these types of ways of framing it they know that they are going to engage these readers so so yeah i'm feeling really positive positive about the media piece and that should filter through to, to the sports media we're seeing the great stuff sport positive have done with the bbc in britain as well so I think you're right, Lou, but I think we're, the, my impression is we're, we're getting there a little bit. I agree. And I think it may be more, I, I think on the media piece, Europe may be ahead of, of where we are. So that's why I think like uh, we, you know, um, I'm feeling like we still got to push. We still got to push. <laughs> and you're think you're saying, well, you know, we're already doing pretty. We're, 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 I'm not putting words in your mouth, but you know, things are starting to be in the right direction. And I think both things are true. Like, um, and going back or to the uh, Sport Positive Summit uh, session, one of the sessions that I thought was fantastic um, was the media session given what we're talking about now. And, um, and the fellow from the BBC is Dave Lockwood. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he is like the climate sports reporter for the BBC. I, I, I don't remember his exact title, but something to that effect. 
And there was a guy from um, ESPN who was on from over this side of the pond. And he, and I, and a question was asked from the Q and a, like, what would, you know, what would be success look like for green sports for you? And he, and he said something like, um, Hey, if we had a, a, a climate sport sports person at ESPN, like that would be, that would be success. So we're not quite there yet, but um, that this was, that, that this was even a topic of discussion, I think was a positive. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I totally agree. You know, it's, so I, I agree with both points that yeah we're in the right, right direction but yes we, we we do still need to do more in the media and we have to we have to keep we, we do have to keep pushing because be, we we can't be complacent about this and I think also um, Matthew uh, you may just for our, our listeners who weren't at Sport Positive I think it's worth you telling the story of what Dale Vince and and the Daily Express are actually doing sure. because I think that would be of interest. Yeah, so a couple of months ago, I think many people logged on to Twitter or some kind of social media, and they saw that Dale Vince had partnered with the Daily Express, and everyone checked their calendars to make sure it wasn't April the first, right? Because because they, they, in terms of you know political persuasion, you, you couldn't be at more opposite end of the spectrum. Dale Vince very progressive, very much about taking on climate, and the Daily Express traditionally not so much, and. His reasoning, so they, they they created a campaign which was which began with talking about climate and uh, conservation in a medium that was very um, kind of palatable to the Daily Express's main readers, which were conservative, generally either centre right or or more right wing reader, readers. So rather than talking about a climate crisis, climate injustice, which we're more well versed and 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 keen to speak about, talking about it in conservation, countryside protection, things that people of that of that persuasion tend to be more interested in and he was criticized to some extent for it in the very early days people were saying he was doing a deal with the devil and, and working I mean, from the left from, from the left from the absolutely from the left you know saying that he'd sold out and he was you know talking to the wrong people but in actual fact these are the people we have to reach because when you preach to the converted you're not going to get anywhere fast you have to try and get uh, the, the the skeptics on board and I think I can't remember the, the panel it, it was, but someone was talking. Might, might have been Catherine Hayhoe's um, 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 keynote speech, actually, when she was talking about the percentages of people where we actually sit. Very small percentage of us are progressives. Very small percentage of us are deniers. And there's a big fat chunk in the middle who are to be converted one way or the other. And these are the guys you have to you have to reach. And I think that was a stroke of genius on Dale Vince's part to try and to try and reach these guys. Yeah, I I, I mean I did not know about this until the panel and I thought brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And I did not see him as selling out. I mean, at all, I think exactly to your point, he's talking about things that are true, that are positive, that could engage some people who, who would not normally engage. And the truth also is, is let's say the eight or 9% that are, complete deniers they're not even going to listen to dale vince whether it's in the in the daily express or 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 anything or anything else so he's not in my opinion um selling out at all and um but i think it actually is illustrative of the 
the, the power of sports to go beyond the converted because the sports fan audience, which is, you know, I don't know, three and a half billion people follow soccer or football alone. I mean, you know, more than half of humanity follows sports in some, in some way. So you're way beyond just by this, the massive population that sports, you know, reaches, you're way beyond the converted. And there is a huge swath of people who are disinterested, doubtful, kind of, kind of interested and maybe ready to see that this is a problem and a huge opportunity and, and they're not really thinking about it, but their kids are, whatever, wherever they fall in that kind of middle spectrum that are sports fans that are not reading, you know, that, that, are, that are not reading stuff about climate change all the, all the time. And that is the genius of what Dale, Vince, and others in this world movement are trying to do. One of the things that I kind of took away from the, the conference, and actually I've been thinking about for, for a long time now, is obviously the power of sport as an umbrella industry, but the power of the power of soccer especially, being the worldwide nature of the sport. I mean, it's so interesting. There was a great panel with the guys from Planet Super League about fan engagement and about trying to engage those people who are not the left-leaning liberals who will generally be you know, well-versed in this, in this conversation already. And Planet and the- Super League is a is a nonprofit or an organization Europe-based that basically uh, pits fan groups. So let's say it was Tottenham versus Chelsea. Tottenham fans and Chelsea fans get points for doing environmental good works at home. Right. And then they aggregate them all and see who wins. Anyway, I just feel like I want to share with the folks who weren't able to go to sport positive, what, Planet Sport, Planet Super League is. Continue. No, right, Lou. Thank you. Yeah, I, I assume knowledge there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and they, he was talking about. Tom was talking about uh, the CEO was talking about the fact that um, this is about getting normal, in many ways, working class, low middle class families to engage with behaviours that they hadn't really engaged with. I had another really interesting conversation with a guy who was a researcher. He's doing a, a master's or a PhD, and he was looking at fans of a football team called Burnley Football Club in the northwest of England traditionally really working class part of England, working class football club by extension. And he said the engagement he's got from fans there, normal working class guys, has been incredible, which shows that you can't stereotype people. If you know, Even if they come from kind of working class backgrounds, really industrial backgrounds, you can't just assume that they're not going to be engaged in the whole climate conversation. Really, really interesting point. Yeah, and I think that what on one way that you're going to get people or sports fans in, you know, non-obvious, if that's even a, a, a phrase, in, in places that you wouldn't expect them to be particularly green-minded is to show them opportunity, opportunity for their club, opportunity for themselves in terms of economic opportunity, um, you know, that, that okay, there's going to be a transition to from one way of powering our economy to another, we, a club, we, a league, we, a country are going to help you in this transition because we know it's going to be, their transitions are not easy, but we're on your team, you know? So somewhere in there, 
is a way to get to people. Talking about sport positive, still fresh in our memory because it's only mm-hmm. been a week. Uh, did you feel that the, the sessions and you know what you saw is a reflection of, of where the industry is? And were any kind of one or two key parts of the conference that you thought uh, that really stood out to you? Uh, I thought that it was a forward leaning, um, a forward leaning moment in time. What I mean by that is, do I think this is where the green sports world is writ large? I think this is the best view of where the sports, the green sports world or the sports world is writ large. So I think sport positive was ahead of the curve, which I think is great. I think that is what these types of, what these types of events should be. Um, so kudos to um to claire pool and her team for doing what i think was a, a terrific job um what stood out aside from the media panel that um that i highlighted earlier was also the dale vince david garrido back and forth um in in the panel about uh, how do we scale this up and so, again, for folks who didn't attend, this was one of like, to me, one of the great moments in green sports history, if there is such a thing. <laughs> wow. So, so David Garrido is a presenter for Sky Sports News in the UK, and he is, he is really at the leading edge of media figures who are really engaged and driving coverage of environment and climate and sports. And he was moderating a panel, and on the panel was Dale Vince, the aforementioned uh, chairman of Forest Green Rovers, the greenest team in sports. And their team has for, I don't know how many years now, at they're in the fourth division now. Um, they're three levels below the Premier League. So it's like in the U.S. construct, it would be minor leagues. And at their, at their stadium, they only serve vegan food at the concession stands. And also on the training table. So at this at game zero, uh, at Tottenham Premier League, sixty plus thousand people. I I believe if I have it right that Tottenham um, had vegan offerings at every uh, concession stand. And Dale Vince said, you know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but something like, well, that's good. But if you really wanted to make a statement, you know. Why didn't you just make it all vegan only like we do at Forest Green Rovers? And right. are you up for it for doing better? David Garrido representing Sky Sports News. And, and David said, game on. I'm ready. Let's go. Something to that effect. <laughs> so I thought that was like, that was so perfect. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that was great. And I thought also that you know, that the sport positive team was able to get, you know, Thomas Bach at the IOC, you know, like CEO of the IOC or president, whatever his title is. I mean, that's like big time, the head of the UN framework convention on climate change, um, Catherine Hayhoe, um, you know, climate communicator extraordinaire. So a list uh, keynote speakers also, 
uh, Miko Rosberg, the Formula One driver. I also thought Sean McCabe, his speech, um, he is the chief climate justice officer at Bohemians FC in North Dublin, Ireland, and that there even exists such a thing, such a human being in such a job is incredible. What did you think? Well, I'm really glad you brought Sean up because you mentioned him in your article for Queen Sports Blog a few days ago. I wrote an article yesterday covering some parts of the Sport Positive Summit and I included Sean's, a part of Sean's um, keynote. And that was, that was one, of my highlight, one of my highlights from the summit. I thought it was excellent. Just his job title, like you say, Lou, is fantastic. It'd be great to see more climate justice officers in sport going forward. But I really like the fact that he, he had a very nuanced keynote when he talked about the fact that um, the transition, the low carbon transition, is not all, is not black and white. And for some people in some parts of society, it's going to be it's going to be a hard transition when fuel prices go up, fair energy prices in some ways, if they're being the houses are being heated by fossil fuels, and we need to take um, we need to be aware of this. And sport can be a great way of communicating these issues, helping people through this, and actually activating them and getting them involved in a community to do things around climate at a very micro rather than macro level. I thought it was a really, really great keynote. It was one of my one of my key takeaways. It was wonderful. I'm glad you brought that point up because about the, you know, it's not a straight line and and the transition is going to be hard. Um, and, and and because you know, I heard that, I absorbed it. Um, it wasn't it wasn't earth shattering or new to me, but the way he said it was very powerful. And then in the New York Times this week, um, Tom Friedman, uh, uh, columnist, uh, multiple time Pulitzer Prize winner, um, he um, he writes about, and he's very. Uh, very green um, minded. And he wrote about this very thing that Sean touched on, but he was writing about it. This could be like a very difficult winter in the UK with uh, fuel shortages, partly due to Brexit and partly due to Europe, Euro politics. And that, you know, and that the green movement can get blamed for some of the shortages that might occur in the next few months. And I immediately linked that to what Sean was saying. And so Sean was like ahead of Tom Friedman, which is a pretty good place to be. Sure, right, right. And it links in with a couple of things that are right in the public eye. I mean, in, in, in the UK now, we're seeing Extinction Rebellion getting more and more prevalence, blocking motorways and 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 and, and uh, blocking people and public uh, getting to work. And as much as okay, we endorse Extinction Rebellion, what they stand for, in many ways, some of the things that they're doing is hindering like normal working class people and and the, the green movement's going to get blamed for that so i think this this whole climate injustice conversation because we, we tend to think of climate injustice about people in the global south who are being negatively treated because of what's happening in the global north but actually it's happening on our doorsteps in europe and oh the yeah US as well oh yeah i mean when i when i think about it i think uh, because of you know my myopic u.s view i think um you know people who are who don't have the means are living next to power plants that are emitting pollution that are giving them much higher odds of getting cancer, cancer that they then won't have the 
funding the the money to be able to get proper treatment because of the of the healthcare issues we have. And so, but it's it's complex, and I think Sean did a uh, a great job in bringing these issues to the fore. Um, and you know, so so my question is coming out of sport positive and now we're heading into cop and in glasgow the global climate conference and i believe matthew you're going to be attending some of the um the what i'll call shoulder events not the main event but the event that is involving sports maybe you can share a little bit about that yeah so there are a couple of kind of uh, side events that are going to be happening i know that um Two prominent people in the, the sport and, and sustainability space, Madeline or Dr. Madeline or and Ali McManaman, are setting up a, uh, a, a fringe event um, with Wood, I believe, the company Wood, as you call Wood, in Glasgow around the same time. I think on the eighth of November, which will be a selection of panel sessions and discussions, trying to showcase how sport can be making a, a making a, a bigger splash in, in the in the climate conversation. And I think uh, an organization called Extreme as well, a big extreme sports organization, they do snowboarding, uh, surfing, that kind of stuff, mountain climbing. They're going to be doing, I think, I think 11 or 10, I think they're going to be there for the whole of COP doing different days around youth, sport and climate as well. So there is stuff happening. Um, I think there'll be a few things happening within COP, but I mean, I don't know what you're feeling on it, this is Lou, but do, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure that sport is given its fair, its fair place in the climate change debate more widely. We talk about key policy elements, the hard-hitting policy, the politicians, the big the big uh, industries who are going to be basically threshing this out. But is sport getting a fair place at the table? I'm not so sure, but I wonder what your, what your thoughts are. Um, I'm, I'm with you. I, in fact, it's not even I'm not so sure. I'm pretty sure that it isn't. Um, however, you know, it, as a former uh, tango teacher, I could say it takes two to tango. <laughs> oh man, I'm really, I can't believe I came up with that. I think that's gonna be a good phrase. No, it takes two to tango. And has sport been pushing enough to have that seat at the table? I don't, because I don't know how you get that seat from the, the seat givers part, but I do know that you need to probably push to get invited. Um, that may make them more likely to give you that seat. So from what we can control as the sports world, um, I think the events that that uh, you mentioned just a second ago are a good, um, are, are, are a star. We, uh, Eco-athletes, um, the nonprofit that I founded uh, a year and a half ago to inspire and coach athletes to lead climate action is putting forth or shepherding a, uh, a um, sports community manifesto for COP26. And this is, to your point, to give a voice to the athletes, the teams, the leagues, and the organizations that are involved in sports and, and notable thought leaders and personalities who are in this world as well, to show that they combined care and want the COP to do its job. But this is an outsider thing, um, and I'm, you know, it's I'm not under any illusions that this is going to be this huge difference maker. But these things, like the manifesto, like the events you're talking about, per, hopefully they are setting the groundwork. They are showing the powers that be on the other side, on the cop side, to say, wait a minute, sports 
has a, a role to play, and they are they are such a force multiplier in the positive direction that we need to have them at you know COP twenty seven whenever that is and wherever that is. We need to have them as integrated even more than we do now. Yeah, I agree with that. But see, I, I get I always I've had the impression in sport that sport is not seen as a traditional sector or an industry. And because of that, it gets a little bit of a free pass on things like climate because it's not seen as a as big business compared to other industries. And I know in Britain, we've got, uh, in, in political terms, we've got our different departments, Department of Health, Department of Transport, and our Department of Culture, Media and Sport, which is the creative industries in sport, has always been known colloquially as the, as the kids' department, right? Where, where mm-hmm. you send like a junior minister to go and that's pretty much a, a career dead end for them, basically, if they, don't, if they, get, if they, get, that, if they get that brief. So as much as I feel that obviously sport obviously can and should be doing more, and I know myself and you, Lou, we try and push it, push sport to do more, that I feel that the other industries and politicians particularly should give sport a bigger seat at the table because ultimately if you want to get climate and climate action into people's living rooms, you've got to engage with sport and, and the creative industries if you want to, by extension, because those are the people, those are the in- industries that touch people. Yeah, yeah. I, I So I think it's... Uh, I think it's this two to tango thing. Sure. Um, and, you know, here in the U.S., we don't have that same, you know, we don't have a ministry of sport like like you do in the U.K. or in Canada and other places. So it's much more private sector-y, uh, you know, kind of decentralized. Um, and, but the commonality between where you are and where I sit is that people really care about it. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that, I, I, I hope that these um, events at the COP in, in, a, in a month, you know, get some real attention. Um, now, to your point about sports being kind of like not seen as an important industry, I think, you know, if sports is serious about having a seat at the table, they can do a better job of showing these powers that be that, wait, you know, our, the size of our business may not be the size of, you know, Amazon or, or the tech companies or the car companies or the beer companies at all, but they all advertise on us because we have eyeballs. And so what else has more eyeballs? Nothing. And so, so it's almost like sports is going to have to say, at, at, like if, if there was this grand poobah of sports, he, she is going to have to say, look, we matter. And we care about climate, environment, et cetera, um, women's rights, et cetera. And you know, and and use its weight. What? So one one thing I want to get your, your one of your your, um, your opinion on Lou is, and I've been writing about this more and more in the past kind of six months or so. We talked about we talked about media. We talked about fans. We talked a bit about what sports doing at COP and how it can become more of a, an industry in terms of the climate. The sponsor conversation. We're seeing more sponsors, more sustainability oriented sponsorship. Still, very much, I think, in its embryonic stages. But what what are you seeing, uh, particularly in the US, and 
how how far how far do you think it can go? What's the next frontier for sponsorship, sustainability oriented sponsorship in sports? You think? I mean, that's a great great question, and a, it could be its own kind of podcast yeah. conversation. Um, I think it's really in its embryonic stages here. Um, the University of Colorado started it, I believe, with Ralphie's Green Stampede. Ralphie being the buffalo, the name of the buffalo, it's the uh, Colorado Buffaloes. And it's a suite of green sponsors. Um, and they are smaller brands. And that started a long time ago. I mean, a long time ago, green sports time, probably 10 years ago. Um, there are There is the... Um, OL Rain in NWSL, which is basically thanks to um, their captain, Lauren Lou Barnes, and their assistant general manager, uh, Santi Gallo, have basically greened their, their locker room, their training table, and all, all the products that are used by the players are the greenest option possible and those companies become sponsors. Um, and I think that, uh, so I believe it's really early days. I think the opportunity is humongous to, do I have a kind of a number value on what humongous is? No, I don't have that, <laughs> but I think it's, it's a lot bigger than it is now. Um, I think there is, reticence like that's baked in um oh this is gonna anger you know our fans and it's gonna but i i think there are going to be more teams more organizations that that go forward and you know put that reticence behind them um hopefully sooner rather than later what do you see over there um and how can we get you know more forest green rovers you know, the, the two most interesting partnerships I've seen in the past year or so have been a part of the ball partnership with uh, Den with Denver, Denver teams and Arsenal Football Club, the, the naming rights, and a similar deal with Footprint and Phoenix with the oh, Suns, yeah. with the Suns, Mercury, and with Real Mallorca in, um, in Spain. Uh, another naming rights deal, but mainly around trying to get their products, aluminium cups instead of plastic cups, bio-based products instead of plastic into the hands of consumers yep. so that they can lobby big companies to start using these products rather than seeing them use plastic. I think that's really interesting. Really. And really what about Climate Pledge Arena? What do you think on that? I don't know a huge amount about, I haven't been really been following Climate Pledge Arena so much since, since I first wrote about it about, well, it must be over a year ago now, right? When they first announced it, I think, was it July last year? Yeah, and they're opening, I mean, they're open now, uh, the new team, the Seattle Kraken, which is, uh, the new NHL expansion team is about to have their, they've had preseason games there. They're going to be opening their regular season in about a week. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know anything to, to do with Amazon. I'm, I'm quite sketchy on, to be honest. I have and to, this yeah. is a really, this is yet another good topic just about Amazon, right? Because, you know, they must control emissions that are, greater than many countries oh yeah <laughs> yeah like and and i have been very skeptical of them and and skeptical is probably a kind word however i think that you know 
the Climate Pledge Arena and their Climate Pledge, which is the pledge to invest massive sums of money and get you know other Fortune 500 companies to do the same. You know, I think that should be welcomed by the skeptics, like myself. It is welcomed. That does not mean we look askance and just you know wipe our hands and say, "All right, Amazon's now good. We're good with them." No, got to hold their you know got to examine what they do, and will their will what they do match what they say, and you know, but I'm willing because I think if they do do what they say, their impact is so humongous that that could be a big deal. But the people who are, you know, you know, the, the, the Amazon watchers have to watch them as closely as they did before. Right. You know, I think, I think it was your article actually, when it was first announced people watching the hockey and the commentator says, coming to you from the Climate Pledge Arena, what that will do for consciousness, like you say, I'm all for it. That's, that's yeah. great. That's great. But, but I, I, I agree that, uh, that, that in it of itself is huge. But I think we have to hold Amazon. If you want to be able to legitimately you know, be seen as part of the solution and Climate Pledge Arena is a, you know, an example of a, a clarion call to that, then you have to live up to that. Do you think we'll get to the stage, and this, again, this could be a topic for another podcast, we get 20, 30 years down the line, we haven't made the impact we need to make to get to 1.5 or 2, or even 2 degrees. Mm. Sport is in utter chaos mm -hmm. all over the world. Extreme weather, it's too hot, too rainy in the, in the wintertime. Um, sport didn't back these policies. It didn't get behind the conversation at this point in time now. Will those in charge of sport now be held accountable for the fact that sport cannot continue in its current guise? And and how do we stress this to be? How do we stress this to the sports leaders now that if they don't do something meaningful like like getting behind policy, which ultimately is to where they need to be at, that they will be held accountable for the fact that their sport may not will not continue in its current guise if if we don't get to where we need to be? Um, it's a great question. I don't know the answer at all but i hope they would be accountable held accountable but i hope that it doesn't get to that and that goes back to where we were earlier i think the role of media sports media in particular and they want you know there's this you know we want to stay out of politics or whatever but you know stay out of politics at what cost mm -hmm. at the cost of not having sports the way we've known it because we don't have an uh, a climate the way we've known it is that worth just saying, you know, like ESPN, we don't do, uh, you know, we, we don't do politics. I, I think that the cost, uh, because there's this whole thing of, I wish climate wasn't political. And of course, in, 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 in isolation, yes, I wish it wasn't political, but you know what? It is. So everything is right. To some right. Degree. <laughs> and political, you know, Politics is not by itself a bad thing. It's practiced poorly, but the, in in most cases that I see, but this is the real world. And if you want to be part of the solution, that's part of the place you that's part of the way you get to be part of the solution. And guess what? 
Sports has been involved in politics forever. They're lobbying. Uh, again, I use the U.S. construct because that's what I know. You know, antitrust exemptions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, uh, I mean, on a more progressive note, uh, during the gay marriage debate here, the uh, let's see, Tampa Bay Rays, San Francisco Giants, and I think the Boston Red Sox filed friends of the court briefs in the Supreme Court case in, in favor of gay marriage. Probably very few people know this, but they, I mean, and tax breaks for teams and tax breaks. I mean, so the idea that sports is di- divorced from politics is, is absurd. Well, you know, one of the things that I find really interesting, and this is pretty more the wider purpose conversation than just climate, but this kind of, it's kind of alternate dimension where, so European soccer particularly was built on community and built on, was very much built on community, community spirit. And European soccer, particularly in the UK, has become uber capitalist. In just the past day, we've seen a team, Newcastle United, being purchased by a sovereign wealth fund in Saudi Arabia. And we can get into that later. But what we're seeing in the US, not particularly the big sports like, football and baseball and, and basketball we tend to think of u.s sports as, as uber capitalist compared to compared to european sports but the soccer scene in the u.s teams like um uh, oakland roots for example who are really putting purpose and community at the, at the heart of what they're trying to do i find that super encouraging we're seeing yeah. european soccer go one way which is why i'm in many ways falling out of love with european soccer but american soccer which in a country that's traditionally been hugely capitalist sports wise going in the opposite direction, towards purpose, towards society, towards climate. I think the roots have declared, are trying to become climate neutral as well. So I think that's really interesting. I think, I think that is a really apt observation. Um, I think that, that we don't have that community kind of thing in U.S. sports except at the minor league level, which is very transient, and in college sports, which is this uniquely American thing. Um, And I do think also that college sports is a powerful laboratory and place for environment and climate. And smaller clubs that are, especially Oakland is like, is a perfect example because you know the Oakland Raiders left of the NFL to go to Las Vegas the Golden State Warriors left to go across the bay to San Francisco the Oakland A's may be leaving baseball and then here's the Oakland Roots hey we are rooted in Oakland we want to stay in Oakland and we want to do this climate uh, neutrally I, I I think that's smart on their part of course I'm biased or whatever but trying to be as unbiased as possible i think it's it's just brilliant actually the, the great thing about them is is that they've they've got a the style as well they've got the branding i mean i don't know if you see their merch but their their logo and everything they stand for it's cool it's, it's, it's a cool club to be associated with as well as being progressive like you want to go and watch the team because you're part of a community but also it's a cool thing to be part of there's music there's food there's it's really really great concept i think yeah and then there's the um Oh gosh, the NWSL Los Angeles uh, team that is not uh, Angel City, Angel FC, City, yeah, mm-hmm. that 
has not yet launched on the pitch, but will be, I believe, next season. I think they're making progressive values um, a big part of what they do. I don't know if cl where climate fits, but I can imagine that would be part of it. <clears throat> and then we have, again, on the smaller scale, but very tight knit, the, the WNBA, which um, has, again, it, it's more, it has focused on things like uh, gender issues and, and racial issues, but I could see climate uh, easily fitting into that tableau of what they're about. And they are having, albeit from a small base, but they are having an amazing year ratings wise um, as they uh, approach, as they approach their, um, their, their uh, finals. So there, are, there's hope there too. So uh, yeah, go, go, go Oakland roots. Lee, last question for you. Mm. You're the commissioner. Any sport, pick your favorite sport. What is the one rule that you would make in relation to climate that you think would really, that really turn the dial on it? I think that I, th I would do two things. One, which, which sport, first of all, which sport? I'm going to do the NFL because that's okay. the biggest one here. Um, I would do two things. One, I would have a contest among the fans. Um, I don't know how you would do it. Uh, maybe it would be at first fans who go to games and you do a metric of recycling and composting and all of these other things. You equivalize stadium size. So it's 32 fan groups and the team fans that are the greenest, that team gets an extra third round draft pick in the next year's draft. In other words, the fans are contributing to the team's success because that's what fans really care about. I mean, actually what they really care about is bonding and having a good time and all of that. But what they care about also is their team winning. And so if you could make green equal winning, that's what I would do, one. And then two, I would have the NFL make a very public statement that says that, you know, when we sell our media rights to NBC, CBS, ESPN, Amazon, whoever, we're going to ask for eight gazillion dollars and then we're going to take a little less. We're going to take a little less because we're going to give, in, in taking that little less, we're going to require that those media partners air climate PSA, public service announcements, every game that drills into the fans who don't go to the games and engages them, those public service announcements could engage them in some kind of fan activity. Those are the two things I would do. And, and now what would you do if you were the commissioner of the EPL, aside from I'm guessing, not a lot, letting the Newcastle sale to Saudis go through? <laughs> yeah, I don't think, I, <laughs> I'd, I'd worry about my, my personal safety if I stopped that particular deal from happening, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go down that. Down that I bet at Tyneside, they're very, somehow very, pro Saudi now all of a sudden. So I would choose not to be the chief executive of the Premier League. I would choose to be the president of UEFA because in European soccer, playing European football is the holy grail for all teams. If you get into right. European competition, that's more money and you get more exposure. So up until a few years ago, there was a rule, a UEFA rule, that a team in the top league 
it was a fair play rule. If you had the fewest yellow and red cards in the season, you'd automatically go into European competition. You'd start off at a very, a very preliminary stage, but you'd be able to have a chance of playing in the UEFA Cup, which is now the Europa League now. So I would pivot that slightly and I would make that a fair, fair play position, uh, uh, a climate action position. So if your club has contributed to climate action on a, a number of metrics, we could include fan engagement in that. We could can, we can include the adoption of renewable energy. We, we could include a number of climate metrics. Whoever does the best in the league on, that, on those particular scores and criteria, get a chance to play European football. So you're getting the fans engaged because their team has a chance of getting into Europe. You do better. And the, and the club and the club wants to be involved because they know that if they do better than their rivals, they get a nice big European European windfall. So even if they finish seventeenth in the in the league, they can't get to the European competition through their league position. If they do all the right things climate wise, they've got a chance to be playing against the top teams in Europe. So I could go for a number of rules, but that's when I think that would turn the dial most. I mean, I think it's really cool that we do uh, the sustainability report and green sports blog, but I really think we should be commissioners. <laughs> I'm, I'm I mean, <laughs> who hasn't, uh, you know, it's just, we need to get good PR people to push this. I'm waiting by the phone, Lou. I'm waiting by the phone after this comes up. <laughs> Lou, uh, it's, we, should, we should do this. We should do this a couple of times a year, I think. Yeah, it's a blast. It's just, it was just a blast. For, it was literally just, a blast. Like a therapy was, session. <laughs> yeah, right? Fantastic. Fantastic. So really, it was it was a blast. I do expect that Matthew and I will have future State of Green Sports podcast sessions, hopefully with a leading green sports thinker or doer or two joining in. In the meantime, you can follow Matthew's sustainability report on Twitter at SUSReport. That's at S-U-S Report. And thank you again for listening to Green Sports Pod and for reading Green Sports Blog. Follow us on Twitter at Green Sports Blog and on Instagram at Green Sports Blogger. You've been listening to Green Sports Pod, hosted by Lou Blaustein. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And head on over to greensportsblog.com, the source for news and commentary at the intersection of green and sports. Thanks, and we'll see you next time on Green Sports Pod.